it kind of got better in 2017 but there was after through a lot of medications after through a lot of treatment you know uh, at one point of time I was actually going for treatment once a week very intensive therapy I really wanted to whack the psychologist with a big stick sometimes because he asks stupid questions but the, the questions have an intent and I guess maybe I found through all that desperation and whatnot maybe I found a purpose through what I was doing and it it helped to give me a renewed sense of purpose as to why I was doing this which was um, of course it was what people gave me externally but I kind of found that hey um my my story has gave people hope so I ha- I felt that there was a need to continue telling my story Welcome to Screwed Up Moments the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again I'm your host Danny In the previous episode and part one of this two-part season finale, we covered the trials and tribulations of Chia Xun An, someone who had been diagnosed with major depressive disorder since the age of 10. It was a heartbreaking, eye-opening, and hopefully perspective-widening tale, covering the difficulties between him and his family since a young age and the struggles to manage the mental illness throughout his schooling years. However, as I alluded to at the end of that episode, his story is far from over. For in the next few years while Shinan was undergoing his polytechnic studies, he would have yet another encounter with mental illness, one that will leave you questioning the fairness of it all and with a sense of the truly unfortunate turn of events that life sometimes takes. In the final episode of Screwed Up Moments Season 1, we will be presenting the second part of the Chia Xun An story. If you have been following the podcast up until this point, we are extremely grateful for your support and we are already working hard behind the scenes to bring you more incredible stories of failure and redemption in the coming season. But before we get into this episode, I would also just like to say that we will be continuing to post content in between seasons 1 and 2. These will not be full episodes, but rather bonus material such as end-of-season montages, behind-the-scenes interviews with the production team, season trailers, announcements, and so much more. Thank you again for supporting and listening to this podcast. We hope that you can help us share and grow the show so that we can continue spreading the message that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. And with that, let's get on with the episode. This is the Chia Xun An Story. Part 2 Something happened in the final semester of my polytechnic. Actually, it happened very randomly, to be quite honest. So I was in the middle of my final semester and uh, I just started kind of like started seeing lines and started hearing things. It kind of, actually honestly, it kind of appeared suddenly, but the onset of the new symptoms were very quick. 
it happened around two weeks, within two weeks. So within two weeks, I was kind of very disoriented. I was hearing things, I was seeing things that I didn't know what was going on. And I really thought it was a, I just thought it was depression again. But as it grew more and more severe, I knew that there was, it was not depression. I guess people noticed because my psychomotor skills were kind of declining very rapidly, you know. I, I remember I would like walk around in circles, very disoriented, stare here and there. I had to keep going to the toilet to wash my face and people noticed. You see, um, my classmate noticed. Polytechnic was also a period of time where I felt that maybe I could kind of talk to people about my condition. But probably... Honestly speaking, I think I was a bit naive in polytechnic. Sometimes when you say things, people keep to themselves. Truth is that sometimes when you say things, people don't keep to themselves and they kind of spread around. So, um, it somewhat spread around. Naturally, there's the stigma and the perception. So there was a negative perception and I guess my, 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 my course was quite competitive. So sometimes competition can manifest in very unhealthy ways and uh, basically people were telling me it's like um, imagine this like you're like very 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 disturbed uh, and you walk out of the toilet and people just a uh, group of classmates say that Hey what are you gonna do? Uh you what are you gonna do? Commit suicide, huh? You know you sell that kind of thing. The intent is to inflict some damage onto you. So, it didn't help. Let me just give people an FYI. Um, this one is quite serious. If somebody is in distress, you don't know the person, or worse still, you don't like the person. If the person is in a mental crisis or distress, if you don't want to intervene, the very least you can do is not to say anything. Because sometimes, you rather don't say anything rather than you say something and something happens because this thing called guilt and um, I I actually tried to jump but because I was really so bad you know I was like literally so disoriented I couldn't even know my way I couldn't do it it's not like I didn't want to do it I wanted to do it because the voices were telling me to die and jump ultimately um, after a period of around three weeks to a month I I finally broke down in class, you see. I broke down in class. It, it, it kind of like got too much. I broke down in class. So in front of around, I think I think it was 42 people plus one lecturer. Um, I broke down in class. I dragged a chair. I said that there's something is wrong. I don't know what's going on. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. And people were shocked. Put yourself in Shinan's shoes for a second. You spent more than a decade struggling and fighting against depression. You try to end it all but fail, and you actually work your ass off to study hard and recover from your condition. Things seem to be going normally for once in your life. You're working through your modules, finishing your assignments, completing your projects, and then your mind starts to malfunction again. 
you begin to hallucinate. You can't walk properly. You keep hearing voices in your head, and this goes on and on and on until you finally had enough and just snap. From the outside, it looks like you're the crazy one, but from Shinan's perspective, I think it'd be crazy if you didn't. The funny thing about having this breakdown is that I didn't know what I was doing, but I clearly remember very vividly what was going on. Hmm. The memories stay with me, and um, unfortunately, everybody left except for one person. Wow! So my lecturer came up. Of course, he had to do something, lah. You know, he said that, "Oh, uh, Shinan is a good kid. He's a nice kid. You know, he's a good kid. He's a nice kid." And then lesson continued. So I was just down there days, and. What I thought was my friend started scolding me and cursing me. Like, what the hell are you doing? Hmm. You know, why are you doing this? A final semester. Then everybody left. Uh, one classmate brought me to the lift lobby. And that's it. So, when I kind of realized what happened, I felt so much regret. And I regret doing this. Note that this is when I was still in a semi not there state, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. half lucid, half not lucid, whatnot. But yeah. I went to this value dollar store, I bought some sweets to apologize, and I went the next day back to apologize. And the response was just fantastic. That more people were like, What is this idiot doing over here? Like, come back for what? Oh. You know, then uh, my lecturer had to do damage control. It's like, You know what? Uh, they didn't expect it to be that bad, you know. Then I was, I was like, but I was in a daze and uh, I eventually had to go to the hospital. Hmm. And I got a diagnosis. Honestly speaking, I had no idea what it was when it came to me. So uh, this diagnosis is known as, and it's a very stigmatizing diagnosis as I soon found out. Hmm. It's uh, this thing known as borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. When I heard it and my parents heard it, they were like totally speechless. I was totally speechless. I didn't even know what was going on. I just thought I was a very bad case of depression. You see? Mm. And because of that, I was literally non-functioning. I was literally talking to myself. I was walking around in circles. I couldn't sleep. I was manic. I was yelling, screaming. So, so this was like not just the voices and the lines anymore. This is like full-blown... Full-blown psychotic episodes the emotions going all over the place right uh, naturally I was not in a state of functioning and uh, well I had to repeat my final semester again it was really very bad I didn't know what to do seeing lines everything I really thought it was the end I was really at a loss at that period of time. That was in 2014-2015. Pure loss. So this was just day in, day out. Every waking moment, you have no idea what's going on. You're seeing lines everywhere. Your emotions are all over the place. Mm-hmm. How long did this last for? This must have been torture. Uh, actually, a lot of symptoms... The I was diagnosed in late December 2013 and um, a lot of the symptoms didn't really go away until it was in twenty late 2016. It comes and goes, it comes and goes, but the some of the core symptoms didn't go away for the first few years. So at night, at night will be very bad. 
Hmm. I would literally have to bang my head on the wall to sleep because it was like so loud. Wow. It was very loud. I had to talk to it. I had to draw the lights out because there was too many things inside and I would try to run at night in the park hmm. crying and shouting hopefully to exhaust myself to, to be able to sleep because I couldn't sleep. It wouldn't let me... Kind of, the symptoms wouldn't kind of let me sleep. It was like on forever. So it was... um. Very bad. I didn't know how to cope. They gave me some medication, you know. They call them antipsychotics and whatnot, but it didn't work so well, you see. Sometimes mm. it was good, sometimes it was bad. And I also had to go for a lot of um, psychotherapy, which was one of the forms of treatment, and it was. It was quite a torture to go because I didn't know what's going on, you see. I didn't know my the emotions were all over the place. So it was it's nothing to grip on. Yeah. So for the first few years of therapy, it was very, very hard to deal with because I didn't even know what's going on. Emotionally, I couldn't express it verbally. Yeah. All I know is that this black stuff or this thing, that thing. And um I guess socially it was also very isolating because uh, obviously my my peers, none of them wanted to deal with it. Mm. They didn't want to deal with it So I realised I was on my own And It was desperation A lot of desperation um, My my dad actually was like The sun is gone really Can can write off really <laughs> Pretty hopeless lah It was quite a hopeless situation lah Very Very Felt very hopeless Yeah about those three years it was really really dark painful three years uh, of your life honestly speaking uh, if it, the only reason you can see me talk about it now like is basically because by advocating it allowed me number one to cope with it to make sense of it and number two it gave me a way to articulate it because if not for me starting to speak up Hmm. I don't think I'll be fully able to articulate the kind of I, I just wouldn't know what to say you know it'd just be a pure doom really because at the time it was just chaos in your head yeah. constantly right? yeah correct I just really didn't know how to express out one of the things that uh, I used to tell myself is that I don't know what to say what I don't know what to say hmm. I do not know what to say because I don't know what to say and how actually I got started talking about the mental health issues was really because I felt I was on the edge, you see. My health had finally seemed to, at that point in time, to, to have forsaken me. Uh, I thought depression was bad enough, you know. I thought I, maybe I, after how many, how many years, 10 years, I, I knew how to deal with it. I did not deal with that. I had symptoms which I have no idea how to articulate apart from just drawing out the scribbles. So, I decided, you know what, there was nothing to lose. In the introduction to part one of the season finale, I had mentioned that this is one of the most incredible stories relating to depression and mental illness. And the reason for that was due to the many moments in our conversation precisely like the one you just heard. 
where Shinan describes a tiny sliver of his experience, and you get to peek into the turmoil that was raging on in his head. It's an uncomfortable, if not disturbing, mental image for sure, and given how difficult it must have been to even express these thoughts, I can only be grateful for his sharing. In fact, due to his willingness to open up, Shunan's story has been featured in many publications and articles, and he continues to speak about his experiences and has even published a comic book titled The Black Box, in which he materializes the many lines and scribbles that only he could see. Because of his involvement, he is often portrayed by the media as a key figure in the advocacy for mental wellness and a champion for his cause. But beneath the surface of the media coverage, the actual truth behind him choosing to speak out is a little more complicated. In 2014, I was doing a single module. Hmm. There was a fair bit of free time. I just started drawing the lines out to deal with it because it's all stuck in your head, you see. There's no outlet to go out, so I had to draw it out. And inadvertently, I drew this story about a penguin who had this black box which was actually basically it was actually me like, it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm the penguin right. I had this black box this black box was a bunch of lines going all the place because I had those lines I wanted those lines gone which was why I drew the story of the penguin trying to get those lines gone mm. and actually I published the penguin story into a book because honestly speaking the root cause of it is that I just didn't care I just didn't care. I just wanted to publish. Like, you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't care about risks. I don't care about anything. Nobody understood what I wanted to do. I just published it. Um, you, just, you just needed to finally just express something. Correct, yeah. How, how I market myself in a way, or how the book is somehow marketed, is that, oh, it's a book to draw, to give people hope. But actually, um, the, the true reason, this one I can share now, the true reason is that because I had no hope and I just didn't care, so I just decided to, what the heck, I'll just publish whatever and, and see if anything sticks, because if not, I'm probably just going to try to jump off again a second time. It's what people perceive that, that becomes reality, and it was actually what people perceived that somehow led me to believe that what I did was actually had some merit because honestly speaking I had no idea what was going on hmm. it was like I just this and it was also at that time where I coincidentally decided to just talk about it the mental health issues because I didn't know what to do hmm. I felt that you know if I did this kind of desperate things maybe somehow it may pay off it's just one of those things where uh, you really I hate to say this really YOLO your way out you know it's, I know YOLO is like a one two year ago thing but it's really it's really a YOLO thing you know I just YOLO my way through Now that I look back on it, it's really just a response to circumstance. And uh, it helped me to kind of deal with it somehow. Mm. Yeah. There's no direct link or there's no the correlation is sometimes a bit it's not direct, but it helped me cope. Yeah. Until somehow it I was hoping it would get better. read in some article somewhere that they mentioned that the feedback from the black box led you to advocacy was that the case or 
Yeah. Yes and no. Um, yes, the positive feedback had a positive effect that it helped me. Mm. No is that what I mentioned earlier. I was just really going for broke. Um, I kind of like, I remember I had this conversation with my, my dad or mom, I can't remember. I said that, you know what, I'm doing this because I really don't care, you know. I, I just really like, I really try. You try, I try, we all try. Maybe this might help the situation. Mm. I didn't know. And uh, these were the actually two things that kind of carried me on in my first few years of advocacy. That sense of just not really, not really caring so much, uh, but for, for lack of a better word to express it, it's like, if there's a chance that you may help, then go for broke, that kind of thing. It was only when I got the external feedback that I started to be aware that, hey, um, there's actually a growing movement of uh, mental advocacy growing on. I didn't know about it. It just happened at that point in time. Mm. I just decided to do it because I felt desperate. So it helped me to cope with my with my illness as such, honestly speaking. Because when you are very sick, you're not going to work. You see, I had a diploma in the built environment sector. Okay, the built environment sector is not a social service sector or a charity sector where people are more aware about these sort of mental issues. Mm. I went for job interviews where people ask, "Why is it like that?" I had interviewers who literally tell you that I cannot even trust you to operate a cashier machine. I have interviewer who basically he already I know that he's not going to hire. They just stare at the ground because they didn't know what to say to you. So basically, at that point of time, I was doing that to cope, to find some relevance to my existence, to show that I still can do something. That was actually quite a low few years, honestly speaking. Despite the fact that, yes, I had a fair bit of media exposure. Because while I had the media exposure, personally, I couldn't, I really didn't see a future for myself because... I saw that some of my peers were already graduating, they were going to university, some of them entered the workforce and I'm still struggling. I think as storytellers, we sometimes have this sort of romanticized view of the world where your problems are always clear and defined, your road to salvation is always straightforward and linear, and where your subjects always fall neatly into the narrative that you're trying to tell. The hero faces an obstacle, goes on a journey of growth, and eventually overcomes it to a grand fairy tale ending. But as we've seen with Shinan's story, and perhaps even over the course of the season, real life is never that straightforward. You fall down, you get up, you fall down harder, you get up again, and then it keeps repeating and repeating to sometimes the point of pure and utter desperation where you're just doing whatever it takes to cling on to that last bit of hope and not give in. This is what reality looks like. No magic bullet solutions, no Cinderella transformations, just a ton of complications that keep coming your way and your sheer willingness to adapt and survive. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is really not to upset you or make you sad. Rather, it is to show that the full spectrum of the human experience cannot be easily covered within a single straightforward narrative. So what if life is sometimes ugly or difficult or complicated or messy? 
Isn't it also what makes it wonderful and compelling and vibrant and adds meaning and purpose and gives us our sense of history and culture and identity? The whole point of this podcast is to show the beauty that can come from tragedy, the good that can come from the bad, the strength that can come from the weak. It is to be authentic, honest, and vulnerable enough to admit that yes, life sometimes sucks, but you know what? It is okay to fail. It is okay to try, and I will carry on. As Shinan writes in the opening preface to his book, quote, For those who have faced a black box in their lives, there is always light through darkness. See, I'm doing actually quite quite well right now. I go on day by day, um, speaking and selling books, and I enrolled in this uh degree in construction management by um, this Australian university which I'm studying right now. I was also working very hard on the therapy, which kind of like started getting better in mid 2016, and um. Actually, I don't have any of the symptoms right now. It, it, it kind of gradually disappeared or I managed them to the point where it kind of disappeared. Honestly speaking, I'm not sure why. It, either I coped really very well or it just decided to disappear or whatnot because it kind of got better in 2017 but there was after through a lot of medications, after through a lot of treatment, you know. Uh, at one point of time, I was actually going for treatment once a week. Very intensive therapy. I really wanted to whack the psychologist with a big stick sometimes because he asks stupid questions, but the, the questions have an intent. And I guess maybe I found through all that desperation and whatnot, maybe I found a purpose through what I was doing and it it helped to give me a renewed sense of purpose as to why I was doing this, which was, um, of course, it was what people gave me externally, but I kind of found that, hey, um, my my story has gave people hope so I ha- I felt that there was a need to continue telling my story so right now where I am is that yeah maybe what I have has a meaning you know people say that oh if you have this problem why don't you do something about it you know instead of talking or complaining so much I have done that you know I have in a way conquered the illness um I look at it something as a bit of a past tense you know it's just a period of my life which I kind of went through and now that I kind of found my centre you know I can move forward regardless of the uncertainties and that has brought me confidence to look forward to the future a better tomorrow if you will I look forward for a better tomorrow yeah And so with that brings the end to the episode and to the first full season of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting this project. We do hope that you have enjoyed 
cried with, embraced, or celebrated the stories from Danny Raventon in episode 1 all the way to the conclusion of Chia Xun'an's remarkable story in episode 10. Just to remind you, we are working on a brand new set of stories to be told in season 2, and in the interim period, we will be releasing some bonus material as well. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness can be a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions, with assistance from Clarissa Wemple and executive producers Simon Liao and Sherman Ho. Music used throughout the episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe and Julian Law. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends, or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email sumsgpodcast at gmail.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. Thank you for listening.